Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dora Barilla, who is the co-founder of HC2 Strategies, an organization that started in 2015 and has become really well-connected with managed care organizations, which are also known as health plans, and the state of California's Department of Healthcare Services. In today's episode, Dora talks a little bit about her upbringing, how her father and husband were inspirations in much of the work that she does, and how now she serves as a facilitator with health plans and providers throughout the state of California with a big focus on the CalAIM initiative. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us on our website, popupodcast.com, checking out our YouTube channel, or listening to us to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's show. Dora, thanks so much for joining the show today. It's my pleasure, Gavin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Uh, folks, uh, Dora is taking a little bit of time off in the near future, and she was kind enough to squeeze me in. Um, although you'll probably be working while you're on vacation, knowing uh, what I, the little bit I know about you. <laughs> it's all work-life balance, right? So Dora, one of the things uh, we like to do to start the show is get to know the guest a little bit. So can you share something with our audience about yourself, something outside of the healthcare world, outside of the workplace? Sure. Well, I'm a fifth generation Californian, so I absolutely love California and really long-term roots here. I love the mountains. I love to hike and I love math. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. so when you say you love math, so you like just numbers in general or do you like actually do any math? Well, kind of a story behind that. Um, my, you know, my father, I, oh, he, he was in his 40s when I was born. And so he was in the military before I was born and uh, for about 20 years. And um, he ended up at Edwards Air Force Base. And um, he was actually there when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. Oh, cool. And so my dad never talked about any of the horror traumas of he was in World War II and in the, the front lines of the Korean War. And you know that was some serious trauma. What he always talked about was um, how he worked with the team to break the sound barrier with Chuck Yeager. And he was just a part, my dad was a machinist, so he would um, draw math problems, you know, even at our home. And, um, and he used math as to say, you don't know what the answer to the, pro to the problem that you're having now because you just haven't figured it out yet, but it's there. And he would have math problems. So math to me was really uh, how, how do you look at the world and how do you solve world problems? So not just numbers, but really looking at possibility and, you know, kind of breaking the barriers of what a human think, thinks that they can or can't do. That is very neat. Uh, really cool. Thanks for sharing that story. So mm -hmm. Uh, let's learn a little bit more about you, Doris. So I know we have a connection with the 626, and actually our last guest um, also had a San Gabriel Valley or 626 area code uh, kind of connection, which wow. was uh, Martha from HealthNet. So tell us about your, your growing up in the 626 and uh, walk us through uh, up until college. 
Yeah, it was actually two one three, Gavin. <laughs> Years ago, they've changed the changed the area code many a time since then. But yeah, no, I, you don't never forget your first phone number, right? Um, but I, I was born and raised in South Pasadena. Again, I uh, my, I came from a family of five girls, and my dad really valued education, and so uh, South Pasadena had a, a an excellent school system. And, you know, knowing you couldn't afford to send us all to private school, we grew up in South Pasadena and absolutely loved it. It was, you know, I was there, I, I lived there my whole life and, um, you know, moved away to college after South Pasadena, but it was just a great community. Awesome. So the 213, I think yeah. I was in the 81, I, I grew up in uh, Azusa. Okay. The other side of the San Gabriel Valley. And at one point, I think we were 818 out in Azusa. I don't know if South Pass ever did the 818 as well. Parts of it. Yeah, they broke through and then it was 323. So 213, 323. I'm aging myself. So and 310. So yeah, I've been through a lot. I'm old enough to be through a lot of area codes. <laughs> Funny stuff. So uh, after or after high school, you went off to Pepperdine. Um, and I believe you studied sports medicine. Tell us about that inspiration and, and basically how you ultimately ended up in healthcare. Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to work in healthcare. I, um, you know, just probably thought maybe I wanted to be a physician or I wanted to work in healthcare, but I was really interested in prevention and wellness. And so I, I went on and got my degree in sports medicine. I didn't even know what public health meant. You know, everybody was a doctor or a nurse, right? Yeah. And sports medicine seemed to be a, a much more interesting uh, foundation. And I loved it because to me, it was, you know, I exercise was medicine. And that's really how I viewed, you know, what, what are the, what's again, growing up in South Pasadena, you really saw how an ecosystem of a healthy community can really help people thrive. You can, you can thrive or you can, you know, really have some challenges. You know, we we're right next to LA. What, what differentiated South Pasadena from downtown LA? And, you know, it really was the ecosystem. And, I, you know, we had great running trails. We had the first Trader Joe's, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that's where we grew up. And and so just the, the thought of health and wellness, you know, was really interesting to me. And I can share a little bit, you know, kind of that journey that it wasn't only about health and wellness, you know, as as I graduated from from college, you know, that's when managed care, again, I'm aging myself, what managed care was first coming out and I was the director of um, a managed service organization when managed care first came out and looking at how do you manage kind of this, what, what we're doing with CalAIM today is really looking at what are the community conditions and, you know, for, for people that are utilizing a lot of healthcare services and really realize it had very little to do with clinical care, but it had so much to do with your social connections you know, the, the, the environment that you lived in, it's not that you were lazy or you couldn't, you weren't eating right, but perhaps you didn't have sidewalks. Perhaps you didn't, you know, your palate never knew what healthy food was. And so, you know, just that evolution from really having that base and that foundation of what good health is to public health of what are the conditions that we need in order for everyone to thrive. So that's really kind of my entire career was really based on that aha moment of, it, you know, it's not just about clinical care or eating right and being um, and exercising, but it's really about the con communities in which we live. Yeah, well said. So uh, for those just taking a step back, I mentioned Pepperdine for the audience that may not be familiar with Pepperdine. It's a, a pretty well-respected university up in Malibu, 
California. Uh, Dora, I actually uh, was at a retreat there about uh, two months ago uh, with my son, with my son and his youth group, um, which is a faith faith based youth group. And you had mentioned off the air um, about uh, some of the work that you do with faith based health systems. Can you briefly touch on that as well? Yeah. Again, you know, looking at what are all the 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 conditions that really you know, create health. And you know, just my my foundation of um, Pepperdine, and then I went on to Loma Linda um, University at, for my for my graduate degree. And also, I spent a decade at Loma Linda University Health. Um, it is, you know, just what's the faith component? And I don't mean it from the faith component in terms of fundamentalism or, you know, just but really, what's the what is it that that um, in your path of faith that helps create healing? How How is it that we can activate faith to really be an asset for not only yourself, but also for communities? I mean, if you look at the, you know, the basis of community support and you look at, you know, where, where some of the communities where people really thrive, it's because they have a social network and always been really interested in that. So um, I've been involved with a, with a group called Stakeholder Health. And it is uh, an organization that, um, you know, we started in 2011. It was really not an organization. It's a loosely organized collaboration or a community of practice from health systems from around the country. And we actually had our first convening at the White House with H Health and Human Services. And um, it was Gary Gunderson is my co-chair who started Methodist Lavonier. And they actually had a congregation health network where congregations were actually providing a lot of like the community supports that we're talking about. Yep. And um, how can they wrap around people that, you know, might not have that, you know, that, you um, support system when they're either in the hospital or they're being discharged from the hospital. So it really is, um, you know, I think a really powerful organization of people that really care deeply about reactivating faith in our world today so that we can provide healing. And one of our mottos is, you know, being our most mature faith combined with the best science. Wow. That's pretty deep, uh, deep statement there. So you mentioned um, basically faith-based faith -based organizations providing a lot of the community supports. An example that I can think of would be like churches providing food banks, which mm -hmm. a lot of CBOs, community-based organizations, maybe not faith-based do today, but I grew up uh, lower income. Um, I was fortunate to, you know, my parents always had a roof over my head and generally had food, but there were times where like I received, like the church provided food uh, for my family. Absolutely. Uh, um, so that's that's a really good point. So um, I want to I want to touch on something um, that I, I read about you, and that is your husband um, and a traumatic brain injury. Um, tell us about that. And you actually wrote uh, you you wrote about it. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, just you know, kind of one of those really life traumas in two thousand and five. My husband. Um, who was a firefighter paramedic at the time, um, was responding to a call on the 10 freeway and hit by a tour bus and wasn't expected to live. Um, he was airlifted to the local trauma center, you know, did a needle crack in the air. And by the time I got to the hospital, I, you know, worked in hospitals since I was 16. You know, they were going to tell a widow, uh, to tell a wife that she was going to be a widow. I had a seven and 10 year old daughter at the time. And you know, was just really devastated. 
Um, but really, you know, all the things that I believed in, I learned prevention, wellness, faith, community connections, and the belief in what's possible, going back to my dad, that what can the human condition do? He actually lived, Gavin, um, against all odds. No one can explain it. Um, you know, he had a craniectomy within an hour, um, not only lived, but went back to work in a year. Wow. So it was actually his neurologist that asked me to write the book. It was everything that I ever believed in, everything I've ever practiced all the, um, you know, just the, the life lessons put into that book and into healing my husband. And so I, I just have a real strong passion. It's kind of what drives my work is, um, you know, how, how, how can that, how can we make that available to anybody? Not that everyone's going to live through every trauma. Yeah. How do we, you know, activate the best in ourselves, in ourselves, in our, in our care teams and in our communities to get the best outcomes. Is that book available? Like if people hear this or watch this and they're like, hey, I want to learn, I want to check that out. Like, is that still available or? Yeah, they can go on P4, the number four, bhealth.org, okay. um, which is a not-for-profit organization that receives all of the proceeds and um, order a book on P4B Health. Okay. What's the name of the book? Um, a New Day. A New Day. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's jump into HC. Is it? So folks, I've known Dora through some collaborations just recently. I don't know her well. I, to be upfront, I don't even know how to pronounce your name correctly. Shame on me. Uh, is it HC squared? HC2? <laughs> yeah. So it's HC2 and it's healthy, connected communities. Healthy, connected communities. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us about how you decided to become an entrepreneur and go at it on your own when you've had a pretty solid career prior. Yeah. So, you know, again, that passion of, you know, what does it take to, to really create community? Um, my business partner, co-founder Rick Rawson and I were both working at a large health system. He was the VP of strategy. I, you know, I was the AVP of, you know, population health and innovation and really looking at, you know, how do we, how is it that we activate health systems to really engage and be involved in this movement of, you know, looking at population, whatever you want to call it. I call it the health of the public. <laughs> you know, how do we improve the health of the public? And, and really saw that, you know, health systems had a role, but it really needed to be that connection between not only health systems, but public health community-based organizations. And how do you create that, you know, the community conditions? So HC2 was formed in 2015. And uh, really with that whole premise of how do we, how do we work together to really activate health and to create those ecosystems so that everyone can thrive. So when you were, when you had this, inspiration. I guess you were the, the brainchild, if that's appropriate to say. Um, did you have clients when you started or did you start the business and then just start working with your network? How did, how did they get started? Yeah, well, both Rick and I had, you know, we'd been in the field for a long time. So, um, you know, so we, we actually had some of our health systems that had been, you know, contract that had, we'd been working with contracted with us and, you know, it was a savings for them. So those were some of our initial clients. And then it, it just exploded, quite honestly. 
um, because of our reputation, our commitment to to this work, you know, we were very mission. We were very mission driven. We took that, you know, the values and and the, what we believe in faith, and you know, really applied it to our business model. That we didn't want to be, you know, nothing against you know massive for profit health system. I mean, uh, consulting companies, but we wanted to be different. We wanted to be really organic, mission driven. We didn't want to be large. We wanted to be authentic and um, really partner with other small consulting companies that were were values aligned. And so we've, if anything, you know, we've had to, to halt work um, because it, we didn't want to grow for the sake of growth. We wanted to grow for the sake of impact. Wow, good for you. So speaking of um, being busy, I guess, CalAIM obviously is this huge initiative. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, this year on the podcast. Um, tell us how you got connected to CalAIM. And if you can also walk us through, is the is the state your client? Like DHCS, are the health plans? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, well, it's really kind of a lifetime of, you know, from the time I was, you know, a, a young girl, just, you know, I think I've been pre preparing for this, but, um, you know, it's just been, it's a part of my DNA. Um, but, you know, what Rick and I, when we first launched our company, we're working with the Hospital Association of Southern California. Okay. And we helped launch Communities Lifting Communities, which was a, a community health initiative with the hospitals, public health, and other community-based organizations and Medi-Cal managed care plans to say, you know, how do we address diabetes? How do we address, um, you know, those that are unhoused? Knowing that so many community conditions. So we launched that, um, I think 2017, 2018, and um, really just did it, you know, because it was the right thing to do. We worked with, um, you know, all the different counties within the, the Hospital Association of Southern California region. So that was kind of our starting point and had made connections with all the managed care plans. And so when, um, you know, CalAIM came in through the managed care plans, you know, they, they actually reached out to us and asked if we would be a part of that. So, I mean, it was a logical connection and fit, um, knowing that this was really what we did. We did it before it was even something to do. Yeah. Uh, so does and, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, you know, so if you're looking, you know, we've been pushing to advance and innovate Medi-Cal with exactly this lens. So it, it was really exciting to see it actually ha have funding. We've been doing this for years without funding. So yeah. if we can do it without funding. Imagine what we could help do with a little funding into our communities. Yeah, that's great. So then are you guys funded by the MCOs or fund, I mean, who are getting money from the state or are you funded by the state? Like who is your technically your client on paper, I guess? Yeah, we always like to say the community is our client, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, just in terms of we're, we're, right now we're working with the managed care plans and helping to facilitate, um, you know, and we're that neutral party because, I mean, it is just really unprecedented, the collaboration between the, the health plans. They, I, I, you know, you can say a lot of things, but just the collaboration that's happening is profound. And they needed a, a neutral party that kind of knew this space. You know, you can't be a novice and walk into this because there's so many unknowns and so many around the corner. So, um, you know, we were just thrilled to be that facilitator to help create the conditions for this to, to be a collaborative model. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about that facilitation. So um, you, I've participated in a lot of these roundtables that are happening throughout the state. 
Can you talk us through, uh, for the audience that isn't familiar with what I'm saying, roundtables, what are they and how are you collab- How are folks collaborating in them, I guess? Yeah, so roundtable, exactly that. How do you create a transparent, open process for people to that are providing either community supports or enhanced care management to come to the table to learn what is Calame? You know, a lot of people, you've asked what Calame is. I always like to say it's advancing and innovating Medi-Cal to really serve those most in need. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of moving parts to it and people think, you know, kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed, but I always like to stay focused on what we're trying to do. Um, And so the roundtables were to create that setting. How do you have that neutral setting? I mean, we're not, we, uh, you know, what we've been asked to do, charged to do is to create the table. So, you know, that's, that's step one. Um, hopefully people feel that it's a, an engaging place, it's a non-judgmental, so that we can do continuous quality improvement on one, you know, getting some of the dollars out there, mm-hmm. identifying what the priority needs are. And then really what we're working on now, Gavin, um, is to do network development. How do we get, um, you know, the ecosystem and the infrastructure not only to support the community-based organizations, but also the ecosystem? of data exchange and, you know, so that we all know how to do this. You know, I, again, I said my beginning career was in um, managed care, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. And, um, you know, we kind of saw the same thing with private providers. They just didn't have the infrastructure. And so how can we help create that infrastructure for community-based organizations that have really been providing the support to the communities for a long time? And, and quite honestly, to ensure that it's organic and authentic to the community, to some of the organizations that have been living and serving for a long time might not be sophisticated um, so that it really can be, um, you know, authentic to that community and ensure that, you know, not, you know, easily like in mental health, you could have, you know, a for-profit business model come in and try and serve that to every community rather than having the authentic organic growth. And so, you you know, I know you need both. I'm not saying anything negative against for-profit entities, but, you know, just how do you ensure that community capacity, is, you know, in some of the areas that don't necessarily, you know, we're doing this throughout the state, making sure that communities have the infrastructure that they need to sustain this. Yeah. So let's, let's dig deeper on that. So I'm relatively new to Medi-Cal. Um, I've worked my day job, um, is in in home care and medical is relatively new for me but i've seen and you know and i want you to talk about this this unprecedented investment mm-hmm. you mentioned these authentic community-based provider organizations or cbo's community-based organizations so one of the things i was hoping you can briefly touch on uh, maybe like 30 seconds to 60 seconds on ipp but maybe more so on this path or cited funding can you talk about how these authentic ground level folks are getting funding for like the first time ever. And where's this money coming from? Yeah, no, that's, it's really exciting. And there's lots of pieces to this. So it's really, you know, led out of Department of Healthcare Services um, within California. So kudos to them for the vision um, and championing this because there's a lot of people have seen this for a long time. And so there's multiple ways, you know, that the funding is coming down. And so the IPP or the incentive payment program is, you know, through the managed care plans. And they're really looking at how, how do they support those providers 
that are providing, when we say community supports, it's um, the, before they called it community support, they called it in lieu of certain healthcare services. Yeah. And that's, you know, w- what are the things that, you know, so often we would see people come to the emergency room because it was the only, it was the safety net in the community. Yep. Whether that was because they were unhoused, maybe there was domestic violence, there was, you know, you name it. I, I challenge anyone to sit in an emergency room on a Friday night and study why people are really there. Yes, they're manifesting, um, you know, with clinical symptoms, but, you know, so often it's because they're isolated alone. They don't have the services they need at home. And how can we create that? And so the managed care plans are really helping to support um, you know, those community-based organizations that, you know, just like we said, through, you know, whether it was the faith community or a not-for-profit organization that has been providing this with, um, you know, the, the the dollars and to, one, build the, the delivery system infrastructure, you know, look at how are they, you know, looking at capacity building for either community support or ECM, and then quality and reporting to make sure that we're not just investing for the sake of investing, but um, investing for the sake of outcomes. Yeah. But that doesn't happen overnight. So those funds are for the individual organizations. Um, and then, you know, also for um, the infrastructure and capacity. So PATH is now coming in and a lot of the funding is coming through the counties, not through the managed care plan. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk really high level because, you know, a lot of this is, it, the, you know, someone says they're an expert on Kelly and all the you'd run because <laughs> we're all learning together. And, you know, I think we, we really need to be um, truthful and authentic to that. But um, PATH is, you know, providing access and transforming health. So this is, you know, the biggest thing is you need an acronym dictionary <laughs> to yes. get through half of this stuff. Yeah. And so what we're calling cited capacity, infrastructure, transition, expansion, and development is now coming through for, you know, cities, counties, local government agencies, um, you know, uh, hospitals, community-based organizations, Medi-Cal Tribal, um, and other, you know, community-based organizations approved by the Department of Healthcare Services to be eligible for that funding. So that's coming out. And then you also have, you know, what they call HHIP, and that's the Homeless Incentive Plan. You know, so there's there's multiple, you know, strands of funding that are coming down for um, you know, various entities to really help create that ecosystem um, for communities to, you know, to, to thrive and, and, and not struggle. We saw a lot of people have been struggling after, you know, before, but the pandemic really accelerated a lot of that. And yeah. then also looking at populations that perhaps are disproportionately impacted. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Um, I'm going. I want to go back to what you said about the uh, the authentic. And again, nothing against big corporations. The community wisdom that they have is is just you know priceless. Yeah. And then, how do we balance that with you know some of the reporting infrastructure? Um, you know, to to so you know it really is a balance, Gavin, between you know just ensuring that we have just integrity in what we're investing in. Um, you know, that we're investing in the right things for the right reasons. A lot of these folks have more of those relationships with these members that really need the care um, Mm -hmm. and they have a stronger ties to the community. And the cool thing is about this funding you're talking about, um, and feel free to touch on this as well, is the state will provide the, not just the money, but the guidance. 
right. to do this reporting that they've never done before. Yeah, no, that, but, but I mean, it's that we're all going to be, that we're all going to need kind of mentoring, learning from each other. Um, because I guarantee you that there's a, a ton to be learned from everyone, in, you know, on that call. And it, it, again, going back to what the roundtables are, is to really learn from each other. Because, you know, the, you know, not to be offensive, but, you know, the great man theory is dead. <laughs> One person has all the answers just doesn't exist. Yeah. And I've been doing this for 35 years and I try and always have that humility that what do I really know? Yeah, uh, definitely. So the roundtables for folks that are listening or watching and they're like, okay, yeah, so I'm interested. Um, is there a website or how do folks uh, get connected to these roundtables? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, they're not th throughout the entire state yet, but the CalAimRoundtables.com is, um, you know, a spot where you can see the majority of them throughout the state and, um, you know, their monthly schedules and how to get connected and actually to be on the distribution list. So we invite, you know, anyone that's really interested in, you know, being a part of uh, the conversation um, and the solution of, you know, how we really implement CalAIM to serve. Yeah. And I encourage folks just to touch on what Dora just said, just said, excuse me, um, definitely participate. I've attended a few um, that Dora and her team have led. And there's always opportunities for me, uh, for the most part, um, throughout the hour long discussions for me to jump in, um, you know, at the right times or make a comment in the chat. Um, I've engaged with Dora during these roundtables. So I encourage you guys, if you're interested in CalAIM, or being a community supports provider or ECM, enhanced care management provider, definitely check them out. There's a bunch with different regions uh, that your team, uh, you and your team lead quite a bit of those. Um, one thing I wanted to ask these roundtables, so so these counties that you're supporting and helping to facilitate, you mentioned you've never seen so much collaboration before. Often these counties have competing health plans that you're kind of representing and they're all working together. So is it always easy? Like, because what I see on the, on the, you know, when you guys are uh, game time, light switch is on and lights, camera, action, everything seems pretty good. But behind the scenes, is it always hunky-dory or that you guys have to hammer some things out? Yeah, well, I mean, it's unprecedented collaboration. Uh, honestly, like I said, I've been doing this a long time. I've never seen this level. Um, but I think the, the health funds really know that if we're going to do this right, and we're going to, um, you know, have sustainability with all this. We we have to work together, and you know, there's there's you know, it's it's great to have competitiveness, you know, in a lot of the work that we do. But in terms of serving the community and creating that infrastructure, if we're not working together, um, you know, in that pre-competitive line of creating that infrastructure that's necessary, then we'll no one will no one will will thrive. And I think there's a realization, you know, I've worked with, you know, when um, they needed the workforce with like IT, you saw a lot of competitive schools come together and really say that, you know, if we don't have the talent to, um, you know, feed the pipeline of some of our jobs, then none of us are going to, you know, be able to work together. And I always thought of that's a, a great parallel <laughs> to, you know, if, especially, you know, communities that that are socially complex and have so many needs. I mean, if someone thinks they're all that and they can do it all by themselves, God bless them. <laughs> you know? But um, that hasn't happened. And I think there's, you know, people that have worked in this, you know, it's, it's interesting. 
because you, you know, I, I think I pretty much know 70% of the people that are working in this because, you know, there's, there's been a lifeline commitment and whether they're working for a health plan, the county, um, people that really care about this know that. Yeah, no, well said. So as we wrap up, um, and, you know, we're, we're what, uh, August as we're recording mm-hmm. and this will be released, uh, possibly September, um, in the in the last year, because I know you've been doing Calium stuff prior to go live, right? January first. What would you say is like besides the amazing collaboration? What else has been? I don't know. Mind blowing is probably not the right phrase, but what surprised you um, in this year or so since you've been doing work with Calium? I think the speed <laughs> at which things are moving forward. Uh, you know, so many times you're sitting there and you're waiting as like, okay, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Um, but there is, you know, people are moving then and it's, it's not a time to twiddle your thumbs and, um, you know, it's a time to roll up your sleeves. Uh, you know, all that research that academic health centers have been working on and all the, all that we know about vital conditions and social conditions. Um, you know, everybody that's been doing community-based participatory research, um, it's time to act. And I think that that's what's really been surprising and it's scary and it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I think, you know, now is the time. I don't want anyone to forget that this is advancing and innovating medical. We need the brightest minds, the brightest talent and the most ethical, um, you know, socially responsible hearts (laughs) um, engaged. And I know that our next youth really cares. I mean, our future generation really cares about, you know, what, what are we, what are we creating? And, you know, I know I care deeply about the, you know, the communities and the systems that I'm leaving my kids. Now's the time. Don't be discouraged and, you know, listen to the news and think it's all doom and gloom. We have enormous um, challenges in front of us. But going back to my dad and planting that seed, you know, they broke they broke the the sound barrier after they'd gone through world, you know, all all World War II and the Korean War. They had been beat up, but believed that he, you know, the human condition can persevere. And um, you know, I just I want to encourage us all to be in that space and to tap into that ingenuity and innovation. That's great. And to echo what you said, Dora. Um, a lot of these health plans or the, the state is willing to invest in. So the providers that are listening who don't know the answers, who think, well, I don't know. I, they're not going to want me. You might be surprised. Right. We need you. <laughs> uh, we need you. We need you. We need you in the conversation and, yeah. and, and talking about what's possible. Yes. And I, I just want to uh, affirm that because I, like I mentioned before, my day job, most people know by now. We are a day provider. We didn't, we have hardly any of the answers and neither do the health plan partners, but they admit it. And so we work together. We're less intimidated. We're not intimidated by these big, bad health plans who have all the answers. No, they're, they're very open and they want feedback. So it's been pretty cool. I've been doing this 20 years. And like you said, I've never seen anything like it. I, I joke with my friends in the industry. We're often the subordinate vendor or like the providers are often the subordinate or they may, they may think they're the subordinate, but we're not. Yeah. We're, the, we're the strategic partners, right? Yeah, and, and absolutely. Yeah, so sorry, I get on my little high horse and tangents sometimes. But. No, I'm with you. That's where we need we need to tap into that energy yeah. of creation and what's possible. Yeah, well, Dora, I really appreciate you um, being on the show today. Dora Barilla uh, has been our guest who co-founded H 
C2, but tell us the whole name again. Healthy Connected Communities. Healthy Connected Communities. And if folks want to uh, learn more about your organization, Dora, or reach out to you, um, can you tell us your website and, and how to connect? Certainly, HC, the number two, strategies.com. And uh, they can go on the website and there's multiple ways to tap in. And we'd love to hear from you if you're you know, interested in uh, you know, being a part of the solution. Awesome, Dora. Well, hey, thanks again for joining the show today. Thank you, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.